And then today, we're really excited to have uh, Tyler and Jess Ballou with us today. Tyler is an HCPM, it's a Houston, Houston Church Planting Network resident. He's just finishing his residency, just finished it. And he's, all, he's planting a Seven Mile Road Community Church down in Missouri City, otherwise known as Sugarland. And you might, using your skills of deduction, realize that he's planting out of Seven Mile Road right here in our community, which is the church that we love and have a great friendship with. So we love opportunities to come together as one church under Jesus Christ and to see, the, the, again, the beauty of the body of Christ and to be able to join in the work of the gospel together. HCPN is a, a ministry that we partner with, both financially and in work. So just so you know, just so you know something that you give to, you're giving to, when we say you're giving to ministry outside of our walls, this is a very real way that you do and, and we partner. So we're really excited. So Tyler, we'd love to invite you. He's going to come teach today. So y'all welcome Tyler. Well, good morning. It's good to be with you this morning. Um, as Heath was mentioning, my name is Tyler. Um, I wanted to give you as I've been preaching in different churches over the summer, I realize this is like the one shot I get to meet everyone. And so I'd like to give you a couple of just fact totems, I guess, about me so you know who I am, who's about to open up the Word of God. I'm a huge geek, so much so that I have Yoshi socks on right now. Last Sunday, I wore Mario socks, and I love board games and all sorts of geeky things. And so a little bit about me on that. I love sports. I love the Astros. I love the Packers. Um, I do like the Texans, too, um, but I prefer the Packers. Uh, just different things a little bit about me. Thank you to the elders here uh, at the Bridge Montrose. It is good to be here, and I'm thankful and excited to be here with you this morning. Let's jump in. Today, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verses 13 through 20. It's right after Hebrews, right before 1 Peter, if you're kind of thumbing through. Um, we're going to be looking at the passage quite a bit, and so I please encourage you uh, to grab a Bible under your seat, grab the Bible app on your phone or the one that you brought with you. Um, we're going to be in James chapter 5, verse 13 through 20. Let me read that for us this morning. Is anyone among you suffering? Let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he has committed sins, he will be forgiven. Therefore, confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. Elijah was a man with a nature like ours, and he prayed fervently that it might not rain, and for three days, three years, and six months, it did not rain on the earth. Then he prayed again, and heaven gave rain, and the earth bore its fruit. My brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let's pray. Oh God of truth, thank you for your holy scriptures. That your precepts, that your promises, that your directions, that your light in them, God, I pray that we would learn more of Christ today. Would you enable us to retain your truth and have grace to follow it? Help us lift up the barriers and gates of our own souls that, that you may come in and show us yourself what you have for us today. God, we are a weak and needy people, and this is a good thing. 
We are weak and needy and in need to be enriched and fully um, nourished through your word. Jesus, would you be exalted in all things and would your word go out, God? In your name we pray, amen. So as I was preparing for uh, today, um, I was thinking about uh, a once-in-a-lifetime vacation that Jess and I got to go on this last summer. We got an opportunity to go to France, go to Paris, never been there before. It was awesome. It was on the, we kind of like coupled it together. She had a trip for school, and so we're like, man, let's, let's just try. We, we don't have kids yet. We've been married four years. We really haven't done any traveling like that, and so we did it. And uh, if you've ever been to Paris, I then you'll know what I'm talking about. If you haven't, then it might be hard to visualize, but just think about riding a boat on a big river and then the Eiffel Tower is behind you. And the Eiffel Tower at night lights up beautifully. It's, it's amazing, the lights that are there. We're riding on this boat on the Seine River and Jess and I are sitting there. It's really romantic and it's kind of, it's a, a little cooler at night and we're like kind of, you know, cuddling there and, and all of a sudden we're staring at the Eiffel Tower when these two tourists come into our vision and all of a sudden, all we see is selfie stick and that's it. That's all we hear. And Chess and I immediately just kind of start laughing. Like it, we realized, oh my gosh, we're laughing kind of loud. We need to kind of cool it down a little bit so that we don't, they don't see us laughing at them. And then uh, we just continued to kind of watch for a second. And we were taken back by how many selfies these tourists were taking. I mean, literally hundreds of them. We kept hearing over and over again, but the most, uh, the most crazy thing that, that was like the, the craziest component for us was they never turned around to look at the Eiffel Tower. The whole time. They are looking at the Eiffel Tower through their, through their front camera as they're taking selfies, hundreds of them, on the burst mode of their iPhone. And I was, it came to my mind today uh, and, and this week as I was preparing uh, just that imagery and how true that is, I think, for a lot of us as we follow Jesus. You see, I think we're the selfie generation. We're the Instagram. We're the social media. Like, it, we are so concerned about taking all of this, how many selfies we delete before we post, right? Or how many are saved in our camera rolls on our phone before we actually post them. And I'm not dogging on, on that. I take selfies. I got a whole, I got, a, I got probably a thousand or more. That's really embarrassing. I got a lot, so it's okay. I'm not hating on them. But all that to say, there is something in our culture and our society and in us where we have to try to pretend and posture and put forward this vision of ourselves that seems perfect, that seems right, that doesn't, that we try to move the mess of our lives away for the rest of the world. We want everyone to see like we're okay. Everything that we're doing is okay. And I think that that has seeped into our journey as followers of Christ. And we need to be aware of that. And I think so much so that we have been believing a lie that that type of living brings wholeness, brings relief to the pain of life, and what if I told you that path is not real? That there is no wholeness there? There is no spiritual wholeness that happens there? And I think that's what James is trying to show us today. And I want to start with just this question for you to think about throughout this passage, throughout uh, our time together, is how are you seeking wholeness in your life? How, how are you seeking wholeness in your life? Because what James is actually helping us here... I. I must say that this paragraph, this passage is definitely about prayer. 
100%, but I think there's a nuance here that I want us to talk about. And what James is providing an answer to us for is to say, answer the invitation into spiritual wholeness by living honestly. That's what James is saying here today for us. Answer the invitation into spiritual wholeness by living honestly. But when we say something like this, we have to tease apart, how does that work? What does that look like? What do we mean when we say living honestly? How do we do that? And that's where we're gonna dig in today. And we're gonna see three different things. First, how we live honestly is by being honest with God. We're gonna see that we need to be honest with each other. And we need to, we're gonna see that we need to lead others into honesty. This is how we answer the invitation into spiritual wholeness by living honestly. So let's dive in. The first is this, be honest with God. Did you see it here in verses 13 through 15? God's word says, is anyone among you suffering? It's a question. James is trying to give us some dialogue here with his readers. Is anyone among you suffering? And then he gives a command, let him pray. This isn't a suggestion. James is giving us a command, let him pray. Is anyone cheerful? Let him sing praise. Is anyone among you sick? Let him call for the elders of the church and let them pray over him, anointing him with oil in the name of the Lord. And the prayer of faith will save the one who is sick and the Lord will raise him up. And if he's committed sins, he will be forgiven. What I believe James is trying to invite us into here is an honesty with God. How so? We don't see this Instagram reality or selfie reality here. Is anyone among you suffering? There's a really honest question here. Is anyone among you suffering? And this word suffering here is not just like an intense persecution. It's not less than that. It's definitely more than that. It is Pretty much what it means is any trial in your life that just is literally pushing you down, like you feel like you just got this squeeze on you. Think about it, like a lemon, you know, when you squeeze a lemon and how hard you got to kind of do that, like that's what your life feels like. Is anyone among you feeling squeezed in a very tight, tough way? If so, pray. Is anyone among you cheerful? Which seems really like jarring if you think about it, because it's like, wait a minute, you're just talking about suffering, James. Why are you talking about being cheerful? Like, I, I feel kind of like, should I be cheerful right now? You just talked about that kind of suffering. It's like, yes, be cheerful. And you know what you should do when you're cheerful? You should sing praise. This word is also like psalms. And so many of the psalms are songs of praise to God for how he is. What we were doing today to sing, so will I, God. And no matter what, I will sing, I will worship. If you're cheerful, pray, sing praise. And if anyone's among you sick, let him call for the elders of the church. James here is doing an incredible thing for us. He is inviting us to be honest with God. And you see, he's, I think that he is speaking to specific situations. But James, when he wrote this letter, is writing it to a group of people. So he doesn't fully know every individual situation that's going on in the churches that he's writing to. And the whole book is like, it's like a quarterback, it's like, it's like uh, if you go into a kitchen and you see a chef, like it's just order after order, like cut this, do this, boom, boom, boom. It, James is constantly just giving like practical, imperative like commands, do this, do this, do this, do this. And we come to the end here and he's doing it again. Let him pray, let him sing, let them pray, call the elders. Like he's going boom, boom, boom. Why? Why does he talk about suffering and cheerfulness and sickness? It's because he's inviting us into an honest life. He's inviting us to be honest with God because he's talking about praying. You see, even at the outset, verse 13, suffering, 
and then at the end of it, cheerful. How many of you live in this emotional bandwidth? Because this is what James is saying. This is an emotional bandwidth that James is giving us. Hey, when you're feeling really low and you're feeling really high, you know what you should do? You should keep the conversation going with God. Don't wait for it to even out. Don't wait for the perfect post. Don't wait for the perfect selfie. Don't delete five experiences from your life before you have that honest conversation with God. If you're suffering, pray honestly with him. If you're cheerful, sing honestly with him. Continue to be honest with the Lord. And what's amazing is James gives us different responses too. Verse 13, he says, pray. That's an individual response. It's like, hey, if you're suffering, you need to pray. And then he says, hey, if you're cheerful, sing. But it's like in a communal way too. It's not only individual, but it's communal. Like get together and sing praises to our God. And then he says, hey, if you're sick, which could mean ill or physically sick. It also could mean spiritually sick. Some, some scholars don't quite know 100%. But either way you cut it, if you're sick, if you're messy and messed up, don't stay isolated and alone. Call the elders of the church. Get the community around you and pray. Keep the conversation going with God. Be honest with him. I love James. It makes the preacher's job really easy because James just, as he's going boom, 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 he then pops in like an illustration to show us what, what it means and how to do it. And he does so here. We're gonna jump down to verse 17. Did you see it here as he's saying like, pray, 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 be honest with God. He gives us an illustration of what that looks like. He talks about Elijah, which is a prophet. And uh, this story in particular is from 1 Kings 18. If you have time after, you wanna read it. But essentially it's this. Uh, there's a famine in the land for over three years. Elijah leaves King Ahab and he goes up to the mountain to where he can see the whole kingdom and it's scorched, famine, nothing's growing. There has been no rain for three and a half years. And what Elijah does, as James is trying to get it through our minds of what it means to pray, to be honest with God, Elijah gets to, with his assistant, up to the mountain, and he just takes this posture. He bends down, puts his head beneath his legs, and I can imagine him. He's just under his breath. Assistant there, doesn't matter. He's just doing it, just in the dirt, posture before the Lord, praying, praying continually. James, the way he says it is he prayed fervently. This word here is, is actually some crazy gymnastics in, in the original language that James wrote it in. It's like he prayed fervent prayers fervently. He's like, hey, he didn't even just pray fervently. He prayed fervent prayers really fervently. He's trying to get us through our minds to understand like when you pray and are honest with God, don't leave anything out. Pray for, it doesn't notate what, what Elijah prayed, but I can just imagine him praying fervently. God, bring the rain. Bring the rain. And he doesn't even look up. He tells the assistant, hey, go look. See if you, let me know if you see something. The assistant goes, looks, comes back, nothing. Elijah doesn't move. He's still there praying. Hey, go look. <laughs> assistant goes, looks out, doesn't see anything, comes back, nothing. Elijah prays some more. He's like, hey, go back, go look. <laughs> Does this again seven times. By the sixth time, fifth time, if I'm the assistant, I'm like, dude, what are you doing, man? Like, I've seen some crazy things with you, but I'm getting tired running to the edge of the cliff, looking, nothing's happening. The seventh time, Elijah prays fervent prayers fervently, 
God answers. Sends the assistant. There's a black cloud out in the distance. Rain is coming. Comes back and tells Elijah. It says in 1 Kings that he picked up his garment. Picked it up. And he just wiped off the dust and they walked on. He prayed fervent prayers fervently. He was honest with God. That's, that's what James is trying to piece in here as an illustration for us. How should you pray in the midst of your suffering, in the midst of your sickness? How should you respond to God in the midst of your joy and cheerfulness together as a community? Honestly, pray fervent prayers fervently. Pray persistently. Jesus gave us that example. Do you know that when Jesus' life, do you know the first thing the disciples asked him uh, how to, what to do, how to do what he was doing. It wasn't healing. It wasn't preaching. It wasn't teaching. The first time that the disciples asked him, hey, Jesus, can you teach us this? It was for prayer. They were like, we have seen you pray with the Father in a way we've never seen before. Will you teach us how to pray? And Jesus then gives us the example of the persistent widow knocking. Never stop knocking. Continue to pray. And I think that's what praying fervent prayers fervently is. It's a persistence. It's a continual knocking in the midst of your emotional bandwidth, whether you're low or high. And the temptation is when I'm low, man, I, I, I'm messed up. I can't be with God. God won't hear me right now. I gotta pick myself up and, and try to dust myself off. And if Elijah shows us anything, it's you get in the dirt and you pray fervent prayers fervently. For us, Sometimes we don't have a paradigm for this. And so what I want us to do as a point of application is I actually want to read Psalm 88 for you. This is an emotionally low bandwidth psalm. And I just want to show that it's in the Bible, the types of prayers that God expects from us, the type of honesty. And so what I want to do is as I read it, I just want you to hear the words. If, you, if, you're, if you're able to turn there, great, you can follow along. But just hear the words here as we see that being honest with God is a worship, worshipful, prayerful life. That's what it means to be honest with God in everything, in every season. We were made to worship in every season that way. One of those seasons, a low season, is this. Psalm 88, a prayer. O Lord, God of my salvation, I cry out day and night before you. Let my prayer come before you. Incline your ear to my cry. For my soul is full of trouble, and my life draws near to Sheol. I am counted among those who go down to the pit. I am a man who has no strength, like one set loose among the dead, like the slain that lie in the grave, like those whom you remember no more, for they are cut off from your hand. You have put me in the depths of the pit, in the regions dark and deep. Your wrath lies heavy upon me and you overwhelm me with all your waves. You have caused my companions to shun me. You have made me a horror to them. I am shut in so that I cannot escape. My eye grows dim through sorrow. Every day I call upon you, O Lord. I spread out my hands to you. Do you work wonders for the dead? Do the departed rise up to praise you? Is your steadfast love declared in the grave or your faithfulness in Abaddon? Are your wonders known in the darkness or your righteousness in the land of forgetfulness? But I, O oh Lord, cry to you. In the morning, my prayer comes before you. O oh Lord, why do you cast my soul away? 
Why do you hide your face from me, afflicted and close to death from my youth up? I suffer your terrors. I'm helpless. Your wrath has swept over me. Your dreadful assaults destroy me. They surround me like a flood all day long. They close in on me together. You have caused my beloved and my friend to shun me. My companions have become my darkness. On a rainy, dreary day, this is a dark and deep psalm. And I don't know if you caught it, but there is no upswing on this psalm. There is no resolution to the tension of the psalmist. There is no speaking of hope. It is a fervent prayer prayed fervently. God, why are these terrors terrorizing me? Where are you? And my challenge to you is, if you're being honest with God, do your low prayers look like this? If not, I'm... I implore and plead as James does. If you are suffering, pray. Pray fervent prayers fervently, just like this. Get the vocabulary necessary to get before God and be like, God, I feel like I'm dying. I feel like I'm drowning. Where are you right now? What's going on? Pray fervent prayers fervently. If we are going to answer the invitation to spiritual wholeness by living honestly, we just said we must be honest with God. James also shows us that we must be honest with each other. Verse 16 says this, Therefore confess your sins to one another and pray for one another that you may be healed. The prayer of a righteous person has great power as it is working. This reality is, is pretty, uh, pretty striking to me. I feel like this is where the Lord sought me out in particular. Um, as a pastor, as a planter, I feel so exposed by this verse. And let me tell you why. Confession to God, I think all of us would agree, if we're following Jesus and we're trying to live a life after God's own heart, we have no problem confessing to the Lord. We'll be like, God, I messed up here, I am sorry. But I guarantee you that the most egregious sin that you've probably ever wrestled with and struggled with, James here is saying, hey, confess that. He doesn't say confess it to God. He says one another twice. <laughs> he says confess it to one another and then pray for one another. And this it makes me feel exposed because as a pastor, as a planter, I'll let you know, like sometimes I'm like, if they knew this, then I wouldn't be able to do this. <laughs> I would not be able to open up the word of God and preach or I would not be able to plant a church or I would not be able to fill in the blank. But what's crazy is I don't experience that in a vacuum or bubble just because of the calling that God's placed on in my life, all of us feel that way. If they only knew what was going on in my family, all of our friend circles would abandon me. If they only knew what I was doing at work, my wife would leave me. If they only knew, fill in the blank, over and over again, I think we can fill that in. And what I, what I think we have to be wrestling with and stricken by here is James is kind of cutting to the heart of, Confession, a lot of times, we think is optional. Honesty with each other, we think is optional. It's like, okay, you know what? I'll answer the invitation to spiritual wholeness. I can be honest with God. I can pray a prayer like Psalm 88. I can sing cheerfully when we gather together or in my car, in my hour commute in Houston. I can do these things. But, man, confess to one another my most egregious sin, the darkest parts of my heart? I, I don't know. I don't know if God's grace covers that. <laughs> I, don't know. I don't know if that's possible. And what, 
what James is doing here is he's putting, hey, confess your sins in the same language as let them pray. It's a command. It's not optional. For the follower of Jesus, confession with one another is not a suggestion in a suggestion box. It is a command from the holy of holies, from God, the creator of the universe, to say, confess to one another. Why? So that you may be healed. That's what it says. So that you can be healed. It's not just to harm you. It's not to make you feel bad. It's so that you can experience healing. Imagine this. Uh, I know maybe some of us don't watch the five o'clock news, but bear with me because you know what that means. Five o'clock news. Imagine this. You're watching, got the sports section, you got the news section, you got, I don't have not watched five o'clock news in a long time, maybe a cooking section, I don't, five o'clock news, you got different, sex, different segments, all these different things, but then they pop up a bulletin and it's your most egregious sin blazing on the headlines on the five o'clock news. All of us can feel like, oh, oh, uh, I don't know, back away, like, what do I do? What if I told you that that is seriously, guys, seriously, the best thing that could ever happen for you? The best thing. The reason why I can say that is because this is a promise that if you confess, if everything's brought out to the light, healing comes in because you're experiencing the grace of God in a way that you cannot experience. If you're not confessing face to face with another brother, another sister, and saying, I am falling short in this area. My life is out of line of God's words and ways and following Jesus. And then to hear them say the gospel to you in that. To hear them say, Jesus loves you. Jesus died for you. Jesus took care of that already. Do not be ashamed or condemned. Live freely. Oh man, the healing that happens. The healing that happens there. Some of you might feel this in your heart right now. You might be saying, Tyler, if you only knew, if they only knew. What I would say in response to that is Jesus knew. Jesus knew and he still went to the cross. For the deepest, darkest sin, the deepest, darkest voice in your heart, the deepest, darkest malice thought towards another human being, uh, way, uh, wayward thought towards another human being, no matter what, your deepest, darkest aspects of your heart, which goes deep, Jesus knew and he still went to the cross. He still went there. Paul says in, in 2 Corinthians 5 that Jesus died for our sins. And the way that that language is actually speaking is it's not just dying for our sins, but it's actually Jesus died because of our sins. Jesus took on the substitution. He took on our sins, all of them. There is not one sin in our life, in your life, that did not get taken care of at the cross of Jesus Christ. This is good news. And it allows us to be able to look at another person, another brother and sister and say, I'm struggling. Help me. Because we get to experience, because Jesus himself experienced. You see, he didn't die in the dark. He died very publicly, very brutally in front of crowds. He was walked, beaten, and scourged from his courtroom to his execution place in the middle of crowds, mocked, spit on, that's not just an example for us to follow. That's a substitution. We are not able to confess freely on our own. We needed Jesus to do that. We needed Jesus to die a very public death, not for his sins. He didn't sin for our sins so that we could have the power, the unction, the courage to walk the same path 
to actually see the power of Christ in us come out and confess. As your substitute, Jesus confessed your sins on the cross. That allows us to confess our sins to one another. Jesus, the God-man, fully God, fully man, substituted himself in our place to confess for our sins on the cross. That was our penalty. He took it on. This is good news. And it allows us to live 100% in the light. And I want to leave you here with this honesty with each other. If there is 99% of you in the light, you are still fully in the dark. If you're 99% in the light, you're still fully in the dark. Jesus, though, James here is pleading, don't do that. You no longer have to hide. Confess that. And community, you have a job to do. That's what James here. It's not just for the individual struggling with an egregious sin or a small sin or any sin that's going on. It's not just that confession for you individually, which all of us need to do. Community, when you hear that, you have a job to do. What are you supposed to do based on what James is saying? You're supposed to listen. You're supposed to speak the gospel. And then don't skip this. It's right here. It says, pray for one another that you may be healed. Don't forget to pray. Don't forget to pray for each other. To say, I hear you. I'm listening to you. Here's the gospel. Now I'm going to pray for you. Healing will take place in your life through the power of the gospel. So community, don't share with others. Don't gossip about it. Unless there's a safety reason why you need to go to an elder. That's the only time. Don't gossip about it. Don't minimize it. Don't give yourself as a self-help guru. Give Jesus alone. It's the only one with power. If you have a small sin, you only need a small savior. So let's all of us recognize that our sin is big and we have a big savior who took care of it. Lastly, if we are going to answer the invitation to spiritual wholeness by living honestly, we need to be honest with God. We need to be honest with each other. And now we need to lead others into this honesty. You see it here in verse 19 through 20. James says, my brothers, if anyone among you wanders from the truth and someone, that's us, brings him back, let him know that whoever brings back a sinner from his wandering will save his soul from death and will cover a multitude of sins. Let me say this. We are all sinners, all in need of Jesus as a substitution. He did that for us on the cross. And now he is leading us out of places of honesty that we've been, as we've been honest with God and honest with each other. He's leading us to go get them. That's what James is saying. Go get them. Lead others to this place of honesty. If you're seeing people wander away from the truth of the gospel that we are proclaiming, go get them. Don't wait for them to come to you. Go get them. Step in. Go get them. Bring them back. You know what happens when you do? You will save his soul from death. And a multitude of sins will be covered. As you're living honestly with the gospel, you will recognize life and death souls of people are in the balance here. God is sovereign over everything and he is sovereignly built into the system that our prayers do something, that it stirs something up in the heavenlies to, to allow God to move in his will and sovereignty. And on top of that, he made it, which if I were designing it, I would not design it this way, but he did to where he wants us to open our mouth and to speak the gospel and to go after people, 
to go get them. We can lead others to honesty. But here's the temptation, and it's back to our selfie reality. We think we have to be perfect before we can do that. We think we do. You think we have to be ready and equipped. We think we have to have a seminary degree. We think we have to go through five point. But all these things are good things. I'm not saying they're bad things, but I must implore you to say, if the gospel's in you through the power of the Holy Spirit, you got all you need. Go get them. Go get them. You're ready. Culture says, how dare you share those things to model for people, to lead people to honesty. And God says, how can you not share these things? How can you not share how Jesus has saved you and taken care of you and the balm of the gospel has been applied to your wounds and heartache and brokenness in such a way that you can now lead others to this place of honesty? And so my, my imploring to you for this is walk with a limp. Don't be ashamed of your limp. Walk with it. Don't cover it up. You know, as I played sports in school, whenever I'd twist my ankle or do things, you know, I tried to be macho and kind of like walk it off and try to like correct it and stuff. God is saying, walk with that limp. That's how you're going to lead others there to that honesty. Walk with it. Own your failures in front of everyone. That's how you lead others to honesty. Own it. Own that I'm broken and messed up. Honor God in the midst of that. Honor him for what he's done. How do you do that? Well, I think we got to look to our substitution and example in Jesus again. In the Garden of Gethsemane, the eve before he is on the cross, he is in such sorrow and grief. He's praying to God, and he says, God, if this cup can pass from me, would you allow it? And then he says, but your will be done, not my own. You see, Jesus owned our failures. All of us would have let that cup pass. We would not have prayed that last prayer Lord, your will be done, not my own. We would have said, God, take this cup away from me. I don't want it. Jesus didn't. He owned our failure in that way, and he honored the Father by saying, your will be done, not my own. And he did it because we can't. He did it because he wants us to through him. We are too busy sewing on fig leaves, covering up our shame, deleting the bad pictures of ourselves, to be able to walk with a limp. And James is imploring us, stop, go get them. Lead others there. If you're being honest with God and honest with each other, you can go get them. You can get them back. You can go lead them to honesty here. And so if we're gonna answer the invitation to spiritual wholeness by living honestly, we must be honest with God, honest with each other, and lead others there. Some of you may be wrestling with the claims of Christ. Um, you may question how Jesus could lead you to a place of spiritual wholeness. For you, I think the first step is just being honest with God. I don't know if Jesus, everything he said is true. Be honest there. That's your first step. Be honest with God. Be honest with God of there's something missing. Something's going on here. There's some sin in my life. There's something that's missing the mark. It doesn't feel right. Start that conversation and stay in it with God and with each other. Some of you may have been walking with Jesus for some time. Some of you may have heard a message like this to confess your sin with each other. And you might go do it for a week or two. And then that habitual sin is going to creep back in. And you're going to struggle with shame. And you're
and you're going to want to delete that picture, and you're not going to want to share it. And just like James, I have to implore and plead with you that Jesus has given you the ability to confess. He's given you the power to do it. Stay in that conversation with each other. Don't feel ashamed. If you hear you only knew, combat it with Jesus already knew. Jesus already knew. Let's pray. Father, thank you. Thank you for your word. Thank you for your gospel, Jesus. Thank you that your life, your substitutionary death, is so amazing. It's it's a wonder. Would our hearts be in awe of you at all times, Jesus? Would you help us live honestly? Thank you so much for the blessing and joy it has been to share your word with this local body of believers. I pray it was a timely word, a word from you. God, if there are any words that are not from you and from me alone, I pray that they would fall in deaf ears, but would your word continue to go out and not return void? We claim that promise. We trust that promise. And God, I pray that you would anchor these truths into our our heart and our soul. Would you help us be honest with you? Would you help us be honest with each other? Would you help us lead others to honesty? And would the air here in the bridge, Montrose, would it be such a palpable gospel air? Like a cool, refreshing air when you go up to a mountain and you breathe in and out and it feels cool and life-giving. Would that be the air here because honesty is being lived out? Would that be true of my heart? Would that be true of all of our hearts, God? Help us celebrate you, Jesus, for what you've done. It's in your name that we pray. Amen.